I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Not everyone is a star, Freddy. What are you afraid of? You can't get anywhere pretending to be someone you're not. You regret it. No one will play queen. Welcome to Second Take's review of Bohemian Rhapsody, starring Mammy Mallet, Lucy Boynton, Joseph Mazzello, Mike Myers, Ben Hardy, Aidan Gillen, Willem Lee, Tom Hollander, and Alan Leach. We're four misfits who don't belong together. They're playing for other misfits. They're the outcasts right at the back of the room. We're pretty sure they don't belong either. We belong to them. Written by Anthony McCartan and Peter Morgan and directed by Brian Singer. We want to do something different. It's my money. I say, what goes? We can't simply repeat ourselves. No, we can do better. Freddie, could you tell us about the rumours concerning your sexuality? Queen, how long can that last? You don't make decisions for the band. Your life is going to be very difficult. My family. We believe in each other. That's everything. We're going to do great things. It's an experience. Love. Tragedy, joy, something that people will feel belongs to them. is going to be headbanging in the car to Bohemian Rhapsody, and I'm Sebastian. Your life is going to be very difficult. I'm Andy Schossler. And welcome to our bonus review of Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, I'm all tingly. Yes. If we were a little bit more prepared, this would have come out uh, not today, but any day before today, (laughs) um, because I believe the movie comes out internationally yesterday. Right. Yes. So we're recording this on Halloween. But the movie comes out on the first, and I think this is releasing on the second. Welcome to forward time travel. You always <laughs> knew it was possible, and here we're doing it now. Um, so yeah, just Andy and myself today. This should be a bite-sized review, I assume. Oh, I've got a, I've got a little bit of juice to it. Oh no, no, no! But I'm trying to think back to the last time it was just us two. It was that Camp Death two and oh, oh, three yes, and two yes, D. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that was about half an hour. So who I knows ju- what we've got? No, I enjoyed that. It had it had a certain quality to yeah. it. So we were lucky enough to be invited to an early screening of this film. If you happen to follow us on Facebook, you would have seen the lovely photo of Andrew and myself both (laughs) getting quite tipsy on the free beer that was there. So 
I'm going to go in and say the hour was a little bit tipsy for this film and <laughs> we were, uh, you know, shown it in advance for free. So let's not have any illusions that there might not be bias. I'm going to, we're going to be as honest as we are, but I just like to get that stuff in the front just Absolutely. so you're all aware. And, and, and showing all my cards at front uh, initially, it was, it was terrific. Yes. It really was a terrific film. You don't need to be drunk. You don't need to have free tickets to go. Go and see it because it is a terrific film. And if you're like, they are pandering, well, well, well. <laughs> Listen next Wednesday to my review of Old Man and the Gun. It'll be in the Variety Hour. Oh, yes. Another film I was sent to without paying a cent. That I have I have not been salty about a movie this much in so long. And it cost me nothing. And I'm still furious with the time waste. Oh, so, dear. Yeah, we can be bought, but we haven't been bought, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Although, if you'd like to buy us. <laughs> so, um, initial reactions before we get into the main structure. How are you feeling about this? About the review or but, the film? <laughs> yeah, just life in general. Like we don't, we don't really talk. We just kind of podcast at each other. Because we're here to do a job, Sid. Nobody, nobody listens to know how we're doing. They want to know about the film. I like to think <laughs> that, they, that we, are, we are cared for and appreciated for what we do, which is talking to microphones. It's very hard. Well, I am doing terrifically well. I have a weird story about microphones. I've just triggered. I've just segued please, myself for some reason. Please do. Um, at one of the stores that I work at, they've got like a, a microphone, a couple of microphones scattered around that you you speak into and the entire store can hear you. And I'm in there, stores closed, and we needed to get the attention of someone. And like, like Seb, grab the microphone. And I picked it up. I'm like, <laughs> I am not comfortable doing this. And like, don't you literally like podcast is like a second job? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> context. Context yeah. is important here. <laughs> also, I don't podcast while having headphones on listening to myself talk at the same time. Like I can hear myself talk the same way now that I can normally. I don't have the the you know horror of hearing it blast over 50 speakers around me. So I, I can't imagine what musicians go through when they have to play something or sing something and then li- listen back to it to see if it's up to their quality, I would I would die having to listen back to myself to approve something. Like I do listen back to this show just as you know a little bit of quality control, but also I enjoy listening <laughs> Relishing to relish in the ego. That yeah. too. Yeah. I'm like, my God, I'm funny. I'm so on point that day. Um and I will occasionally do the half cringe of, oh that's 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 I said that. Yeah. Oh, it's mostly yeah. it's mostly I said that, not I sound like that. That's the problem. Though. I'm more so, like, oh, thank God there was some laughter to cover that horrible thing that I said. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and now we can officially start the review. Very good. <laughs> Do oh, whoa, whoa. this is but we're trialing we're trialing segmenting the uh the show. Are you ready for some trivia, Seb? You know it. Here it is. Riddle me this. Riddle me that. Who's afraid of the big black? Hey Derek, you know what's always good for shoulder pain? If you lick my butthole. It is Wednesday, my dudes. Trivia away we go. I hope I really hope the audience enjoyed that because it's permanent and I'm not changing it. That's it. <laughs> well, this film has been in production since 2010. Interesting. Okay. Sasha Baron Cohen was originally cast as Mercury, and I remember hearing this in the news and being very excited at the prospect. Now, um, Brian May and Roger Taylor of Queen, as well as Jim Beach, their manager, are all producers of the film. So, so no bias anywhere, is what you're saying. <laughs> Actually, in, in, in doing the uh, investigation for it, I think they did a pretty good job. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they paint themselves in the best light. Jim Beach, I think, particularly... Um, uh, paints himself in, in, in the best light possible as, as a manager, although I'm sure he came under a lot of scrutiny. Mm. 
Um, but uh, Brian May approved of Sasha Baron Cohen as the casting, but he maintained reservations about the potential harm to Mercury's legacy because uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was such a uh, well-known comedian. Honestly, that was my concern when I first heard this. Well, like he's not a bad actor, and they, they obviously they look similar. Was the big issue? I think he could have pulled it off. I'm not saying he couldn't have, yeah. but nothing that he's done tonally. May after seeing this film. I was relieved that he wasn't in it. it. Certainly in, in the likes of uh, Borat and uh, Bruno, um, yeah, it wouldn't have been nice if he went ridiculous like yeah, that. Because he, he always plays very big characters. And I'm not going to say Freddie Mercury's not a very big character, you know, yeah. coin the term, but they're different though. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, in any case, in 2013, Cohen left the project. Both May and Taylor said that they wanted a more family-friendly picture, which I think they ended up with. Yeah. Um, despite the um, uh, Mercury's homosexuality, being a big part of the film, but not in not in a way that would offend anybody. Yeah, at least was, uh, you, you would have to go out of your way to be offended by it. Yeah. So for those who haven't seen the film yet, by listening to this, like, there's no like gay sex scenes, for example. No, it's all implied romantic stuff that would happen off screen. But he is so I say romantic, all yeah. sexually off screen, but all romantic stuff on screen. So and there are a few kisses. Yeah. Big yeah. Deal. So I guess for your traditional white straight audience, <laughs> you're going to not complain. No, they, I guess be, I don't know. They're like, going to be fine because the music is so awesome, Seb. Yeah. yeah. Um, but <laughs> this film really didn't break any ground when no. it came to pushing, yeah, homosexuality no, through the audience. It's not going to be an LGBT. Um, flagship no. film for, for, for any reason. Uh, in any case, um, Cohen wanted a more adult film um, and and for that reason he was um, – I don't think he was removed. I think it was all am- amicable, but they had their creative differences and they, and, they, and they parted ways. Later that year, in 2013, Ben uh, Wishaw, who is Q from the new Bond films. Yep. He was cast as Mercury and Dexter Fletcher was installed as director. He's done a little bit of television, a little bit of directing. Um, I, w- I was looking through his IMDb page. He's not particularly well known for any one thing. Like he's he's done the work. He's he's competent, um, but he's not particularly well known for anything. Um, the year after that, so 2014, Fletcher resigned again because of creative disagreements with uh, the producer Graham King, and Wishaw left, suggesting that there were scripting problems and that was halting progress. Okay, interesting. So in 2016, Anthony McCartan, who wrote The Theory of Everything. Wrote, wrote, wrote the screenplay Yep, for Theory of Everything, was attached as the writer and conducted interviews with May and Taylor um, to, to have a fresh take. That same year, Rami Malek was cast as Freddie Mercury, who is Freddie Mercury in the film. The following year, so 2017, Brian Singer was attached as, as a director, but two minutes Two minutes, two months before shooting finished. That'd be a hell of a thing to be yeah, fired. Two, yeah. <laughs> two minutes before the end. And <laughs> there go your royalties. <laughs> yep. Um, two months before shooting finished, he was fired from from the project. He had been absent from set for a couple of months leading up to that. Um, and his absence ab- absence from filming was was felt. He cited um, a parent being ill as as the reason why he wasn't on set a lot, but it was causing a lot of problems in the cast. Lots of lots of rumbles and grumbles. Who everywhere. stepped in? Do we know? To- so uh, he was fired. Dexter Fletcher stepped in to finish off the project. Okay, but because of the Directors Guild of America and their web of rules, um, Brian Singer gets sole credit. Well, he probably did like 80% of it by the sounds of it. And if Dexter just came in to finish off he the did, thing. He did um, about 
uh, Dexter actually over, oversaw only two weeks of principal filming, but he did all the post yeah. uh, production work. Well, I will say, because I did not know that, this film did not feel like one that had like a director drop out of it during a thing. It felt like no. one consistent tone. So if anything, props to Dexter because he came in and didn't just by who he is as a different human being mess up the tone of this film. That's right. So good job on that front, conforming and making it almost seamless. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not obvious which which scenes he directed if they made it into the film at all. Whereas you talk about like Justice League. Yeah. Where it's like fifty percent reshoots <laughs> and there's just power the color the the palettes are just completely different from scene to scene. Uh because yes, yeah, Zack Snyder and um What's the Weasley redhead guy? Joss Whedon. Uh-huh. <laughs> Got him good. So, yeah, it's good job. Yeah. And fun fact, Rami Malek sent in a, an audition tape of him singing uh, to um, both May and Taylor, who were doing it. They weren't able to download it. There was mm. a problem with it. So when he auditioned for them in person, um, he, he pl- played for them first the, uh, the video and the reactions that they had, he was genuinely seeing for the first time. Oh. And they were genuinely having for the first time. Awesome. Well, I have some fake trivia. Excellent. Uh, which will only make sense to you if you've seen the movie. <laughs> um, did you know that this film was originally titled I'm in Love With My Car? Nailed it. That'd be really funny for like a year when someone's listening back to this. You know what? That running gag was was a highlight. Yep. <laughs> I Really? Oh, yeah. Um, are we good to move on? I think so. Time for movie babies. Hasta la vista, baby. Nobody puts baby in a corner. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah. Okay, I have some babies. I got three babies. I know we normally use two. Well, I, ne- I never normally use two. Sometimes I use like seven, but this time I have three. Okay, I struggled because I don't watch a lot of A musicals, B biopics, or biopics? Biopics. Biopics. Actually, I should have mentioned yeah. in, the, in the trivia. That Brian Singer. Do we have to replay the intro? No, to no, this? no, no. <laughs> just quick. He 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 said flat out right right from the start that this was not going to be a true uh, biopic. Yeah, which is fine, but they definitely probably should have had a little tag saying that this is mostly based off events. It's, I'll, I'll I'll talk about this later, but yeah, it is yeah. it is more of a love letter than an actual mm. factual account of everything that happened. Okay, so for me, not watching many films like this, I did struggle. So I have almost famous mixed with. Both Jack Horseman oh. and Billy Elliot. So you're going to have to explain this one because I do not see any of those. Okay, so almost famous about getting a career in the arts and you know the music industry and taking right. off. So that that is just context. It's laying the ground. <laughs> um, Bo Jack Horseman for uh, a, a celebrity who's turning to drugs and to alcohol and kind of losing touch with reality and kind of self spiraling, which okay. is a big part of this film about Freddie. And Billy Elliot um, about the rebelliousness of going against his father's wishes. Ah, of course. Which is yes. a lovely little motif that we have going out throughout this film. So working showed, I'll have that A plus please, sir. All right. The challenger to, yep. <laughs> to those movie babies <laughs> are uh, the founder, the McDonald's film. I haven't seen that. Kidd. It's good. It's yeah. good. I really enjoyed it. I don't think it's for everybody, but I really enjoy it. Oh, well, it. I'm everybody, so I guess I won't like it. Excellent. <laughs> uh, the Founder and the Blues Brothers. The, I, I considered the Blues Brothers only because I was trying to find a musical to put in there, but I yeah. couldn't. But yeah. it's not, it's, I mean, it, it is partially about the music, but one of the, one of the things about the Blues Brothers is that they are, they are motivated by the band and the band performing good songs. And I guess with the Blues Brothers, there's that whole thing about like, you know, 
getting the family back together as well, which is a huge thing in this story. Like exactly right. Queen is con- constantly referring to itself as a family and not as a band. Yeah, like that's, which is actually quite a sweet thing when I look back on it now. It's a really nice bit. I, you, you didn't, it wasn't really like that. But I'm sure it wasn't really we'll, like that. This movie, but we'll explore that. Yeah, in in yeah. in the movie, very very uh, tight family feel to oh, it. I should say, and I, I've, I'm having to provide a written review for a, a magazine about this film as well, and I'll state it for this as well. I'm I'm not able to review this film as any sort of historical piece, whether the director said it is or it isn't, <laughs> because I'm not I'm not versed in it. I don't know, and I've not act I've actively not done research into what was true and what wasn't true. Because for me, it was just a fun music film. So, yeah. and yeah, so I might say that I love things and then some diehard Queen fans like, yeah, that's a load of shit. I'm like, yeah, probably. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But it was yeah. a fun movie. So, <laughs> And uh, the founder, again, because that is, that is also a, a kind of love letter in the same way that it blends a bit mm. of fact and, and, and timeline. Um, and it's a story told over the course of 90 minutes, but it, in actual fact, it takes place over several years. Is this the Michael Keaton? The Michael Keaton yeah. one. So it it at times feels like it's jumping quite a bit. Um, like yeah. all of a sudden there'll be a new problem that suddenly arises or he's just in a new place. And the film kind of explains it away and you get swept up in, you know, just the just the the ride of it and you don't really worry about what's going on. But if you stop to think about it, and yeah, there are some big jumps and big gaps sometimes. So it's it's just f- for that feel. Okay. But it, but it's also the same kind of movie in the sense that it's trying to tell a story that has a lot of moving parts, a lot of complicated history, and trying to tie it down into one cohesive narrative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All righty. Well, let's move on to the plot nop tweets. Is that right? I don't oh, even know. you are so close. What is it? What is it? How do you say it? Plot nop sweets. That's why is there sweets anyway? Go roll the clip. <laughs> and today I'm going to read it to you. Sports in it? Are you kidding? Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. What if life was a music video and every problem was resolved by writing a song? Hashtag ignore the bassist. That's really funny. I remember watching this film, every time they would have an argument and they would. Someone would create a song, everyone would think about yep. it. I was like, every time I'm like, that's really convenient. Yeah. <laughs> but like it's it's I guess it's like every time in a musical, like, oh, how convenient you're gonna sing a song instead of <laughs> sorting out your problems. It felt like that, but Yeah, exactly right. Uh, um I've written my my tweet nopsis in such a way that my goal, okay, so we're here, but Zane is physically at the table because he's recording this episode for us. He's not, I don't think his mic's on, he's just physically in the room. He's here in spirit. My aim with this is to have written one so (laughs) anti-Zane that you will be able to hear him on my microphone. (laughs) I assume your microphone is off, right? Okay. So, (laughs) So, Freddie is doing all right, but is just after somebody to love. He just wants to break free because he's feeling down yeah! under pressure. And now he's here and he will rock you until the day, unfortunately, he bites the dust. Hashtag something something Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> something something. <laughs> it was really hard to work the title of the film in there because I'm like, what the hell is a Bohemian Rhapsody? Who doesn't love a good round of song titles? Yeah. <laughs> it's a who's line. Is it anyway, Who's game. line, yes. <laughs> I, I fortunately had... 
like five minutes of prep time. So that's why it's not anywhere near as good as those improvisers. <laughs> it's almost as if if you took the time to do your homework, Seb, and you weren't doing it on the bus on the way to school, <laughs> you, you might have something worthwhile that isn't just poorly structured puns. But it is technically not a pun, is it? Because <laughs> they were exactly the words they were meant to be. They weren't just sounding like other words, it's right? Wordplay. Wordplay is not a pun. Pun is a kind of wordplay, though. Right? All right, all right. Yeah, that's it by <laughs> default. <laughs> all right, for the sake of my ears, because I want Zane yelling again, let's talk about the good. Go ahead, make my day. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy. Ah, the notable memories of this film. I will say I don't have many good notes, not because it wasn't good, just because it's it's really fun to experience it. Like a lot of it is just funny moments. It's a funnier film than I was expecting. That's true. I was I laughed quite a few times that I yeah. did not expect. And there are a few there are a few visual gags and just things that um, things that are captured in the delivery, just just talking about them, you know, you it, it loses its magic. I was actually, have you have you seen the show um, How Much Your Mother? Yes. The humor style in that show I found to be quite comparable to the humor style in this film. Oh, you think so? So if just the structure of the jokes for me, if you there's a lot of callback humor within the narrative yes. of the episode, which in How Much Your Mother, I've having binged it many times. <laughs> They will tell a joke in the first act and the punchline will always come in the third act. And this is a consistent thing that they do in every single episode. They will always have that joke. So you feel like whatever they're doing is in some level nostalgic to 15 minutes ago. Right. And this film- Which is kind of the way real life happens. Yes. And this film does a lot of that where they'll set up a joke in the first half hour that they'll be telling you know again at the hour mark and again at the hour and a half mark and so on. And so it kind of builds a rapport with you in that sense. So, yeah, that's the best. I can, I'm sure there are other shows or movies I could compare it to, but that's a really solid reference point for me. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so there's, there's, a lovely meeting. <laughs> there's a lovely meeting between Queen and their uh, label manager, their, their producer, Ray Foster, who was played by Mike Myers. Oh, no. And they're talking about Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, no. About the uh, A Night of the Opera album. And Ray Foster is determined not to release Bohemian Rhapsody as a single, mostly because it's six minutes long and singles are three minutes long because that's what the radios uh, will play. They won't play a six-minute song. And in actual fact, there was a lot of resistance to playing Bohemian Rhapsody at all. It took a connection that Freddie Mercury had with a a DJ who was – just as outrageous as Freddie Mercury Which was. Which they showed in the movie as well. Yes, yes, yes. They they did. They they kind of stylized it. they, They actually had a really good friendship going on. They were never together as lovers, but they were both at nightclubs okay. together and they had a bit of a falling out um, towards the towards the end of his life. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Ray, Ray Foster, Mike Myers, is talking about, talking about Bohemian Rhapsody. There's also the running joke of um, I'm in love with my car, which yes. was Roger Taylor's song. If you've, if you've heard it or you do, go ahead and listen to it. It sounds more like a Pink Floyd song than a Queen song. Yeah, it starts off quite psychedelic and then for me just drops straight into just, let's just call it a rock song because it goes for me very basic, but it starts off, yeah, yeah quite. Yeah, and it, it sounds like it's going to be epic, but it really ends up being just a generic sounding yeah. song. Like it would be perfectly at home being the background to a Jeremy Clarkson voiceover. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yep. Uh, 
So Mike Myers is talking about this. Talking up, I love my car. That's a single. You know, that's that's that, that's the one we're going to go with. Bohemian Rhapsody. Nobody is going to be you know playing that at full volume in their car, banging their head to it. And then, of course, yeah, it's Mike Myers. <laughs> Mike Myers went on to do uh, Wayne's World in 1992, which is partially responsible for the resurgence of Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody. It was re-released that, that same year. I'm kind of glad you brought this scene up because just before we were recording, I was speaking to Zane. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> and because that was, that was my quote that I chose to open this episode yeah. with. And I laughed at it because in my brain, I was yeah. like, huh, yeah, that's really funny, Wayne's World. Fully disconnected from the fact that Mike Myers' character had said that. Oh, really? <laughs> so I was laughing at the joke while also definitely not getting the joke at the same time. And it was only now when reading, when I was getting the quote ready, I was like, oh, that was my, oh my God, yeah. I'm a moron. I've never been so dumb in my life. Like oh. I felt like the second I had worked it out, I felt like I must've been covered in my own drool or something. Cause I'm just, I'm not fit to, to breathe. I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how did I, I even laughed. I yeah. laughed at this in the cinema. How did I not get this? <laughs> so very funny joke, but do you think it was a little bit on the nose? I don't know. Like, I don't mind it, but it Look, felt a little bit like, ha ha, wink, wink, nod, yeah, nod sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything in this film is stylized. You know, real life is, um, it's not black and white. It's not cut and dry. Things happen in a very, you know, sort of meandering way. Mm. Um, and when you're when you're telling a story, it has to be you know good stories are told in a very specific way. There's nothing more boring than listening to someone talk about their holiday where they don't get to a point, they don't really tell you a story. All they do is repeat their itinerary yep. in chronological order. That's boring. It actually happened that way, but it's boring. And so to tell a story in this film, they did chop and change um, actual events. They blended emotion and fact and minced in the timeline into there. But what they came out with is baking this really nice meatloaf that falls on the on the on the true side of grey. You know, it's all true. It's just kind of jumbled up uh in a way to to tell a cohesive story. And I agree. Like for me, like I said, I was never interested in the I mean, I'm hoping the story would be mostly truthful, but it's not for being the point for me for this film after especially what during the viewing of it. It this movie's a rock concert. It is absolutely <laughs> yes, yes, a rock yes. concert. Arguments are settled. You said before, arguments are settled with creating a new song. <laughs> there is constantly a beat going. The second this film starts, they even got the universe. Is it, is it, no, the Fox, the you know, it's Fox, the fanfare yeah. Yeah. starts off and it's literally a rock and roll version of that, which by the way, was recorded by two of the members of Queen. Of course, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and like, they, they, May and uh, Taylor, st- the the drummer and the guitarist, still mm. still playing together yeah. today. Yeah. So even just from the get go, this film put a stupid grin on my face and just <laughs> kept the pace up. It is the best way to describe it. If this movie was a built if place, it's a nightclub. There is yeah. constantly a beat going, and it's not full of action, but it's got all the spirit of an action film going. Yeah. So yeah, for me, the truth became almost secondary to the story they were telling. I'm glad there are bits of it, but it, I don't really care because it was just an enjoyable narrative yeah. on its own. Yeah. And also kind of a fantasy world. Yeah, yeah. A, a little bit, a little bit. But it does but it does heavily stylize everything. So I'm sure the meeting with Ray Foster really did take place and I'm sure he really did resist Bohemian Rhapsody being released as a single. Um, whether he actually said those lines, I'm sure they were written for comedy rather than being an actual verbatim uh, thing that Ray yeah. Foster said. Um, also, one th- one thing I liked um, in the musical world, certainly in the rock world, it's very common t- 
to make fun of the bassist. They're always yep. the the <laughs> the. Um, well, the drummer wouldn't understand they were being made fun of, so you hug the bassist. Uh, got him good. Uh, I don't even know how a band works. <laughs> I'm just saying things. Alex is actually a, he's not here, but he's actually a bassist. Oh, is he really? Of course he is. Right. <laughs> Look at him not being here. <laughs> I, I play bass guitar too. It's it's all right. Yeah, I can't play any instrument. I I've got. It's like a disorder where I touch it and it bursts into flames. <laughs> and it's anyway, any, it doesn't matter what I'm playing, whether it be trombone or violin, all you hear is screaming cats. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a nice running gag um, through the film. It's really subtle, at least at least I, I picked it up as being subtle, mm. where the basis is constantly ignored. Um, the the band at one point is having a fight about something. They're in the recording studio, uh, and John John Deacon, the bassist, just starts. He's, he's, he's talking about this song and can we all just, you know, focus on on writing this new album, writing the new song. Everybody's fighting. Nobody's listening to him. And he starts playing another one, Bites the Dust, and everybody rallies around yeah. him at that point. But until then, they were ignoring him. It was fine. Uh, later on, um, it's kind of towards the, the not the climax, but the um, the precipice of Freddie Mercury's kind of fall from yeah. from Grace, um, where they're at the, the press conference. Um, and everybody's drilling Freddie about about his sexuality, and he's just trying to talk about the music. Also high and drunk, and just doesn't want to be there. Not well played scene, I'd say. Very very yeah. well played, well played scene. But but again, yeah. And and then John Deacon, after all this frustration, goes, "Hey, I'm here too. Does nobody want to listen to me?" It's, so yeah. it's it's a it's a nice running gag for for musos. You were going before we were recording. You were talking about like number one selling, like or like high selling singles and stuff. And yeah, another one, Bites fact. the Dust, yeah. was the best-selling single that Queen ever had. So you, obviously everyone would just assume Bohemian Rhapsody. And I just found it so funny, like, there's that lovely Only the little, second best. Yeah. yeah. And there's this lovely scene about him, like, can we just make my damn song? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and it ends up being the, 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 the best-selling song, uh, single that they, that they ever had. So yeah. lovely little bit of irony. I like that. <laughs> um, there's a really nice subplot of Freddie's well, – uh, it's not his real name, but Freddie's uh, relationship with his father. So a couple of things up front. I didn't know Freddie Mercury had – was it easy Indian? He has Indian descent, right? Were they in? He's uh, – they're Indian nationals, but they right. are of um, of Persian heritage. So, so, they, so they followed the Zoroastrian That's religion. right, yeah. So I didn't know this about Freddie Mercury at all, yeah. honestly, because he's very Caucasian. Like in all the images he that you see. He doesn't look uh, Pakistani yeah. or, or, or Indian at all. Although yeah. I will say in this film, they really lean into it. Like he does come across as very foreign. Like he doesn't look white in this film. Like they've t- they've tanned him up significantly yeah. from all the press pictures I've seen. I'm sure there are pictures out there that are going to prove me wrong. That's cool. Once again, <laughs> the facts don't matter. But no, um, so that was nice to learn that fact because if you would ask me, I would just would have said he was a traditional white Britannian human being. You wouldn't distinguish him. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, great subplot um, about his father wanting him to – they had this little mantra going and I cannot remember <laughs> what it was, but it was about being good, doing good things yes. and helping people or something yes. like that because his father – I, I believe there was a line about wanting him to like get into medicine or something like a good, not just a thing for money, but like a, something a, honorable. Yeah. Something to help people with. Yeah. And music is not the way to help people. Mm. And his father's <laughs> carrying around this photograph of young Freddie and he's got boxing gloves on, which is what immediately triggered me to think of bloody Billy Elliot for my movie babies. Uh-huh, Cause yes, it was his father saw his son growing up one way and his son saw it another. Yes. And, they play it throughout the ages from when Freddie's in college through to when, you know, Queen is singing at Live Aid. 
And it's really well done as like a little background side, um, subplot of the film, just seeing his father come to terms with, the, with his son's decisions and realizing, oh my, you know, at the very end, my son has made this made a life that I cannot agree with, but he's raised all this you know, through Live Aid, all this yep. money for all these people that need it. He's done good for humanity. And I, this part, I, I, I guarantee, was just fluff for the movie to have a feel-good moment uh. to it. But it was very well done. It was yes. very sweet. And like once again, true or not, yeah. Not again. It was stylized, you know, to to tell it to, to give a personal touch mm. to something that actually happened and actually did have um, real world results. But Queen's, I wonder. If, oh, sorry. Queen's performance at Live Aid has consistently been voted the best rock uh, live performance uh, ever yeah. in history. Oh, even even Elton John himself. Backstage came up to Freddie and said, "Bastard, you've stolen the show." <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. Um, I, we haven't touched on it. So the music in this film, I was worried because I wasn't familiar with the lead actors' singing performances. Turns uh-huh. out irrelevant. Yeah, um, <laughs> he's good. He's good. He does a little bit of like during warm-up scenes and stuff. I believe he does a bit of singing himself. There's a scene where he tries to woo the band and decide into bringing them on as their <laughs> singer. And I believe that's him. But for the most part, this film repurposes live music from Queen and just studio recordings. So you're really you're getting alternate takes of real Queen stuff. But no, it- they they did re-record it for the, specifically for the film. But a lot of the a lot of the scenes are with backing tracks. They're not singing live on camera. Yes, but yeah. a lot of it's also just real Freddie singing. Is that right? Yeah. Like oh, that's why I was like, wow, they're getting it really close. They weren't just getting it close; they were just getting it. Ah, so okay. yeah, I did not know. Even in the the released soundtrack of this film, which is every clip of every song they use, <laughs> there is it's all just Queen themselves. Whether okay. it's from this concert, that concert, or studio, none of it is from any of the cast of this film. So that's why I was like, the music's really good. Yeah, suspiciously good. (laughs) But then I think of Pierce Brosnan singing in Mamma Mia. I'm like, yeah, good call. (laughs) Don't get actors to sing that can't sing. Well, or just cast people who can sing in the first place. No, 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 no. It's too difficult. Too much trouble. (laughs) You either get the right look or you get the right voice. You could not have both, apparently. Um, uh, The last thing I want to touch on, there was a a lovely moment where Freddie is hosting a party and at the end of it, um, everybody's everybody's gone home, disappeared, and he's still lonely and dejected. And he's really, re- really feeling it. Um, somebody says to him, hey, "Why don't you just get your get, get your friends back, and you can start the party up again?" And he says, "They're not my friends." Reminded me of the scene in Trading Places, yeah, where um, Eddie Murphy's uh, character comes into a lot of money, immediately um, takes the takes the patrons of his local bar back to his place to host a big party and he gets up gets get gets fed up with them at the end because they're not looking after his stuff. Yep. You know, they don't care about the carpets, they don't care about the the noise that they're creating for the neighbors and he kind of says no, they they're not my friends and realizes that he's different from, also, from these people. Also, Bojack Horseman does this. Ugh, of course. It all comes back to Bojack. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and and it's a nice moment just just highlighting that Freddie did have moments where he was a very lonely person. Yes, it was the the film plays it very nicely. There was actually there's okay there's a lovely subplot in this film about so Freddie was originally got engaged to a, a woman, um, came out Mary Austin. Mary Austin, yeah. He attempted in this film to come out as bisexual, and she's like, "Nah, mate, you're you're gay," <laughs> and they they have this really unique separation where. So they're no longer living together, but Freddie has bought her a house adjacent to his house so they can stay connected 
but he still has the assumption that she's going to carry on wearing the engagement ring that he gave her to the point that when she actually brings another partner to a party one day, he is surprised that she is dating someone and almost treats it like she's cheating on him, even though they've effectively broken up but haven't. And it was, okay, so this film, for some reason, I don't know if it was an actor choice or a choice by the director or just in the writing, but for some reason they're playing Freddie Mercury almost as though he's autistic or on the spectrum in some way to the point that I haven't found any notes that Freddie himself was, and maybe, maybe he was and I haven't read deep enough. But it feels like it was a choice done for this film and it seems like a case of somebody who's stuck in a pattern in this film and can't wrap their brain around any divergence from the path. Yep. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was done purely for the narrative. Yeah. Um, to, tell a, to tell a more uh, focused story. But Freddie himself was very well spoken. Yeah. Um, he, he didn't have a distinctive voice. You couldn't necessarily tell that it was him if you didn't uh, recognise him. There was nothing that stood out about him, apart from his flamboyance, obviously. Yeah. But this is not a bad thing. It made this. It made it very interesting because going on to this assumption, you're, you're now telling a story about a very interesting person who's yeah. got a little battle going on in their own head, but also how it's playing out everywhere else. I was just a little bit confused as to whether this is an accurate thing or just the actor running well, with something. That's all. What, what, what really did um, end up happening, they were engaged for a time. He came out and, and their relationship ended, but they stayed friends um, for, for the rest of his life. He always considered her his um, common-law wife. They, what, were, they, they were never married, but he, he always considered her a common-law wife, yep. just as a de facto, I guess. Yep. Um, and he maintained a close friendship with her um, to his dying day. In fact, uh, when, um, when, when settling his estate after, after he died, she got the majority of, of, his, Interesting. Um, of, of his wealth. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, that's uh, I'm, good with, I'm done with the good. Okay. Let's talk the bad. Houston, we have a problem. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. You are tearing me apart, Lisa. I've fallen, and I can't get up. I can't believe you've done this. So, Freddie Mercury, famous for being a human being, correct? <laughs> he was like, particularly human. People will be talking about this for centuries to come. <laughs> Remember that famous human being, Freddie Mercury, who was definitely human and definitely a person. Interesting that they decided to give him the weirdest prosthetic <laughs> uh, upper upper jaw, upper jaw, upper row of teeth. What's the word of that one? His, yes. His, the prosthetics, his, the top row of his teeth. They obviously, they put some prosthetics on the actor because Freddie Mercury has quite a unique look to him. However, he's not that unique. Um, I don't know what happened in the makeup uh, chair, but it looks like he has as many rows of teeth as a great white shark because the top part of his face is gigantic. So it's fine, but it's such an exaggeration and it really took me out because I felt like the poor actor must be suffocating because <laughs> there was so much crap in his mouth. Exaggeration is is a good word um, because everything everything that actually happened in real life in this film is exaggerated. Everything. Well, I yeah, to to a, to a certain degree, and it's done to tell to tell the story. Stories need to be interesting. Yeah. Oh. Very entertaining film. If we're going to go with the exaggeration, <laughs> like it's fine. I was like, I said, it was just, it was really, really weird. And like, I've seen pictures, I've seen interviews, I've seen him <laughs> walk around and you know exist on TV. But this movie was just like not more. And I just, 
maybe that it's just a limitation of the time. But then I look at Marvel films and I see them de-aging people a thousand years and I'm like, no, yeah, you exactly. could have not done this. This was a choice. That's right. Um, so that's my key bad, which is a minor one, but it's <laughs> just, oh, it's just a strange choice. I, I don't really have um, any bad notes about this film. I don't think there was anything they uh, did that they could have done better yeah. uh, in any way. It's very... Very entertaining all, all the way through. I, the, the, there wasn't a moment where I was taken taken out of the story. No, I agree. Like it was, mm. I'm not going to call it flawless, but it only had like one <laughs> or two flaws. So it's, it's pretty good all up. But what I did do is go and research the actual history. Wonderful. So here are all the inconsistencies. Regale me. And I want to make this absolutely clear. This isn't a criticism of the film well, Why in are you way. doing it in the bad state? Yeah, okay. Because real life is wishy-washy and sometimes things happen. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, real life is mostly <laughs> negative. So this is the best place to put it. No, things, things in, in, in real life sometimes happen with huge gaps. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's 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 the saying in the theatre that if you bring a gun on in the first act, you must fire it in the third. Mm. And the same way, if you were to tell the actual chronological history of things, you would you would bring up things um, that actually happened that weren't necessarily resolved because that's not the way life works. Mm. It doesn't work towards that kind of resolution. You just keep on living the next day. Yep. So certain choices were made for the film. Uh, the timeline was moved around a bit, but. With uh, Brian May's and, and Roger Taylor's involvement in the film, I think they attempted to remain true to the spirit yep. um, and, the, and the emotion of, it, of everything going on so that it, it may not be factually true, but it still is truer than not, yep. if that makes sense. Um, so there's a scene where uh, Freddie is coming out to Mary Austin and her response to him is, your life is going to be very difficult. Now, homosexuality had only been decriminalized in the UK in 1967. Yeah. And this was the mid-70s that he was, he was coming out to her. Um, in reality, he was, a really, he was really private about his life up until his dying day. He didn't think it was anybody's business um, that anything was, was going on with him. So he, um, up, up, up until the day before he died, he denied ever being HIV positive. And even um, in public appearances with uh, Jim Hutton, his his uh, genuine long term uh, partner, he kept a friendly distance from him. He was just, the, just because of the homosexual st- stigma. Is sorry because there were so many names in this film. Is Jim Hutton the one that he shakes up at the very end? Yeah, the the fat guy, the chubby guy with the mustache. Remind me, mustache, as I have a complaint. When you're gone. <laughs> uh, so yes, so that was that was Jim, and they mm. genuinely were, were together. So in the film. <laughs> in the film, Freddie and uh, Jim Hutton meet at a party that Fr- that Freddie's hosting for his birthday. Mm. In reality, they met at a nightclub in 1985 in March, where Mercury offered a drink and asked Jim Hutton if he had a big cock. This is a much more romantic version of what happened, <laughs> but I mean. You can't blame a guy for being straightforward. In the film, it's a really nice scene, and Jim is kind of saying, saying to Freddie, "Look, I know you need someone right now. Um, I would like to be with you. I like you, but come back to me when you like yourself." Yeah, it's like, but you're a fucking mess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sort yourself sort your out, shit, bud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so they 
slept together that night straight away, which is common. Yeah. For it's not not uncommon, I should say, for the for the homosexual world to be it's promiscuous also, like it's, that. Yeah, not even uncommon for the heterosexual world shacking up with someone the first night you meet them. Not like, that's not, it's not crazy, no. That's right. So the party um, that the film is based on, uh, that that is in the film, uh, was actually based on uh, Freddie's 39th birthday party, which was held September of 1985. Okay, so at least the year's right, I guess. Yeah, which was actually three months after Live Aid, and Live Aid is the climax in, in the film. Oh. So, it's, so it's out of order in that sense. Yep. Live Aid uh, happened on July 13th, 1985. Okay. So Hutton wasn't – in the film, he's a staff member. He's sort of serving yeah, drinks yeah, he was and, like and a waiter or at the party. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was in attendance at, at the party in real life, but also in real life, um, they got together. He was a boyfriend. Hutton moved in with, with Freddie, and he – I guess you, you could call it a stipend. You know, he paid his boyfriend a stipend, but he was employed as Freddie's gardener for £600 a week. Okay. In the mid eighties, six hundred pounds a week would have been huge. Six hundred pounds a week now is like good money for a. I would imagine a gardener because that's the equivalent of what, like nine thousand thousand Australian dollars, which is pretty okay. Yeah, like just for standard work. Yeah, pretty good salary. Um, and Hutton genuinely was in the wings for Live Aid. You know, they they'd only been together for three months, but he was, but but he was there, uh, just just like in the film. Um, so in the film, their relationship is played as this pure love only kind of thing. Mm. In reality it started off physical promiscuous then, yeah. just like just like any other gay relationship, but it did kind of surpass that. Um Hutton one day confronted uh, Mercury after seeing him leave their house uh with with another guy and he gave Mercury an ultimatum saying, you know, you can choose that life or you can be with me. And Freddie Mercury chose Hutton. Yay. In his <laughs> in his autobiography or his memoirs, I I should say uh, Hutton cites the reason as being that Freddie just wanted um, someone to. He appreciated the fact that somebody liked him not for his money or his fame, just for himself. Yep. Um, which, by all accounts, was was a genuine. They they really did love yeah, each other. They addressed that in the film, like the oh, the concept yeah. as yeah, well. Yeah. 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 So, okay. so again, this is the, this is what I mean about kind of mixing reality with, with you know actual timeline facts. Yeah. With the emotional tone of what's going on, people's and- motives are staying. Pretty clear yeah. their their listed motives in reality. <laughs> it's just yeah, when or where it all happened is a little yeah, bit off. Exactly okay. right. Uh, so, Freddie actually met in 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 the film. It's implied that the first time they they're meeting, uh, like actually having a conversation, is uh, after uh, they have their their concert. Uh, Brian May and, and Roger Taylor. Um, have a, have a band with another guy called oh, Smile, yep. and that's the night that this the, the their lead singer leaves, and Freddie kind of steps in, introduces himself, and plays along. In reality, they met each other during university. They were actually introduced by Tim Staffel, the lead singer of um, Smile, yeah, um, because he uh, Freddie Mercury and Tim Staffel were in art college together. Okay, so Freddie Mercury had, actually had a diploma in graphic design. Oh, interesting. Um. So in addition to being a baggage handler, which is addressed in the film, Freddie also had a secondhand clothes store in um, Kensington Markets, which he oh. ran with his, his girlfriend, Mary Austin, which isn't, which isn't addressed in the film at all. Not that it's important, yeah, just like, that it, 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 was actually, it was actually a thing. That's the kind of thing you cut, though. Yeah. And that's what I mean. That's a, that's a, that's a choice made to, to, to tell a story rather than tell chronological uh, events. Um, Freddie actually moved to Liverpool after he graduated uh, with a diploma and played in a band called Ibex, and they renamed themselves Wreckage. 
Okay. It didn't help because the band failed. Yep. He joined. Oh, a- <laughs> it, it worked perfectly. <laughs> he joined another band called Sour Milk Sea. Okay. Which also failed. Yep. Good. So he moved back to London, and and it was around that time that Staffel left Smile to join Humpy Bong, which I think is mentioned in the film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he persuaded May and Taylor, who were going to break up at that point because they've lost their lead singer, they may as well stop playing. He persuaded them to keep performing and he would join them, rebrand as Queen and continue on that way. Okay. Uh, so they're touring around for a few years uh, and in the film it's Freddie Mercury who has the idea to um, record an album and in order to fund that he sells their, their touring van. So it's a so it's a nice nice big moment where mm. they 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 have a choice to make they can continue doing what they're doing what they're doing or they can try this new radical yeah. know, thing and, and and make it big. In reality, it was Brian May who had a friend who had just built a recording studio, needed some sort of loud band to test all his equipment, so they were allowed to record at night for free. Okay, how about it- that? I wonder why they changed that. Yeah, it, it, it almost seems like that would be an interesting thing to put in the put in the film. Yeah, because okay, okay. But, going with what they did in the film of him initiating the selling of the van yeah. makes it sound like their success was grasped. Yes, they were someone by all agreeing they were all in charge of their destiny. Yeah. That's whereas, definitely why they made that yeah. call. Yeah. Whereas you go with the what a coincidence, and it, yeah. but then you can play in the fate element. Of like the band was destined for great things, like they were pushed that way. So it's uh, really, fate yeah. is fate is less determined. Uh, I mean, it's 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 less uh, um, ambitious. Yeah. To just go with fate, you know, you're kind of going with wherever the sea washes you. <laughs> but it it does make for a nice story. I'm sure they really did have a, have have a moment where they had to sell their van for some reason, but it wasn't to it wasn't them fund yep. uh, the recording of their album. So. Um, when you listen to interviews of um, the members of Queen, they always describe themselves as being a collaboration of solo artists, never necessarily a, a cohesive unit as a, as a band. They all added their own bits to the songs and they worked together that way. It mm. wasn't that they wrote it all together yep. necessarily. Um, in the film, um, it, it, it makes out that Freddie Mercury was very ambitious. Yeah, and he forces a breakup of Queen by pursuing his own solo career. In reality, <laughs> by the time Freddie Mercury accepted a solo deal, both Brian May and Roger Taylor were finishing their second solo, solo albums. Oh, okay, yeah, so it was already going on. There wasn't ever really a band breakup or a makeup for yeah. Live Aid. That's again kind of told uh, for the for the story for the film to yeah. make it to make it a bit more exciting. Um, in fact, just two months before they went onto Live Aid, they completed a sold-out tour of Japan and Australia. Yeah, they did. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, however, in the 80s, like during, during the 70s when they were sort of building their, their um, fan base and such, they were annually recording an album, going on tour, recording an album, going on tour. It was a really fast pace. In fact, F- Freddie Mercury says that it's one of the reasons he – Wanted to wanted to slow down because he was just burning out. Mm. And in 1982, after the release of their album Hot Space, they started to fade in popularity. Mm. It was also that time that um, the conservative broadcasters in the states, MTV included, um, weirdly enough, were refusing to show some of their stuff and sort of shying away from them because Freddie and Queen themselves were becoming much more flamboyant. Okay. It was great in the UK and Europe. 
where their popularity was, you know, just as high as it ever was. But in the states, they 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 were suffering. Interesting. Okay. Um, and it was Live Aid. It was their performance in Live Aid that kind of brought them back into mainstream uh, in, attention, in, in, into the public attention. That's that's exactly right. Especially in the states. Yeah. Which which is a which was a huge market then, and it you know continues to be a huge market today. Okay. Um, Andrew. Not to rush you. <laughs> I have a few more points. Okay, I was going to go. <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah, in the film, it's Freddie Mercury who, um, you know, says, I, w- I want to come back. I want to make amends. We have mm. this op- opportunity to do live aid. We should come back to that and it'll be, and it'll be great and, and fantastic. Um, Bob Geldof actually did approach Queen at, um, at an awards ceremony to do, to do live aid. And it was he. He did press them for for a quick answer, but it was months in advance of Live Aid. It wasn't like a last minute thing where they were going to be slotted in. Yep. it was all planned and 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 organised ahead of time. Mercury really did fire his manager Paul Printer, um, but it wasn't for being a massive cunt. Yep. Well, I guess it was. Yep. <laughs> because um, he fired him for selling personal information to the tabloid papers, probably about his um, being tested for uh, AIDS. And they kind of do that after the fact. After he fires him, he goes on and is on talk. Is this about this is the second manager? Well, or uh, the first yeah. manager? so he actually does fire him, but it happened in 1986, a year after Live Aid. Yep. Um, he actually did get um, diagnosed with with AIDS the year after Live Aid. In the film, it happens before Freddie. And it's yep, yep, okay. In the film, it happens before, and it's the reason why he sort of comes back and you know gets them gets them to do it because he want to, wants to make amends he actually didn't get tested until after live aid okay but he did perform in live aid against medical advice he had some sort of bronchial but uh, they, they kind infection. of play up that yeah, he's, he'd be yeah. a bit of a ring rust for back like a better term but yeah and yeah and that was actually true he 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 did have an ailment then possibly it was it was aids related at the time maybe bad cold or something yeah yeah that's that's exactly right um as far as the Live Aid set is concerned, they mostly recreated it. They missed, um, or they left out on purpose, crazy little thing called Love, where I was surprised in watching the actual concert that Freddie picks up a guitar. Okay. I, I didn't know he played guitar. I just, he's very talented. I assume he can do anything yeah. he wants. He's like the opposite of me. He just picks up any instrument and it sounds magnificent. That's exactly right. Yeah. And they didn't address the fact at all that um, uh, both Freddie Mercury and Brian May performed in the finale for Live Aid later on in the night. Okay. Um, performing one of their one of their other songs. Wonderful. And that's it for the inconsistencies. Yes, we did it. <laughs> it is time for the verdicts. But to be the man, you gotta beat the man. And I'm saying, woo, right here. I'm the man. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Slap it on with the might of Zeus. What say you, Andy? <laughs> Go and see this film. It is a top film, um, and it's and and it's about pride and ambition, and how they can drive you to do awesome things, and at the same time they can work against each other and you know, kind of back you into a corner where you're someone all of a sudden that you don't want to be and you don't like. It's a great film. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, people often criticize the Marvel movies, saying it's just stupid candy cinema. It's not It's not good for you. It rots your brain. You know, <laughs> it, it doesn't make you think. It is just there to be fun. This film is kind of just like that. Like, don't worry. There is emotional beats there. There is a bit of depth to it. But all in all, this film exists to play you some queen and to be fun. And it does both. Well, I mean, like, it's very easy to play queen. But it, <laughs> it does both in a spectacular fashion. You will 
you might you know leave feeling a little bit touched here and there. I was never yeah, yeah. it's a, it's not not heavy on the feels, but it's not it it doesn't pull back any punches either. It no. it, it lays them all out. So it's like midpoint between fluff and drama. Yeah, where it it honestly it's more leaning towards the fluff, but it isn't afraid to tell you a meaningful story at the same time. And I really enjoyed it. Like I. I've seen a lot of films that I've been sent to just for the magazine that I write. And most of them are like, it was fine. Like, it's not good. <laughs> it's not bad. Occasionally, you're like, oh, that was actually really good. But this is like, like completely, it's a game changer for me. Like, yeah. I'm not used to being asked to watch movies that are actually good because I normally have to, <laughs> they're, they're normally after me to say good things about bad movies, which yes. I don't do. So I was like, oh my God, you didn't even need me for this. This movie sells itself. <laughs> but no, I really enjoyed it and I've been waiting for it to come out so I can take my wife to go see it because she couldn't come with me to the screening. Aww. So by the time you're hearing this, hopefully I've saw it yesterday. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, that now, was- I think I think I'm going to enjoy watching this film every few years because it is, it is funny. It is a good laugh and- Awesome Queen songs. How, how can you go wrong? It's all you need. And they're not shoved down your throat. It's done very organically oh, and very nicely. Except for every time there's an argument and someone sings a Queen song. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, fine. That's, that's yeah, just the way the story goes. <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for this little bonus review. Um, if you want to hear my review of the other film that I went and saw, The Old Man and the Gun, it'll be next Wednesday on the Second Take Variety Hour. Um, but in saying that, we're back on Monday for a movie we haven't yet reviewed yet, and it's uh, it's a found footage film. I forget which one. Is it Blair Witch next, or is it Blair Witch or Troll Hunter? One of those. It's two. Boy, yeah, we are, yeah. yeah. Th- oh, which one is it? Well, come find us with <laughs> that. And by the, by the time you're hearing this, I should probably have looked at it. Um, yeah, you know the Facebook and yeah, you got it. Facebook.com/slash second take. Just find us. Just find us. Like that picture of us with champagne. It was lovely. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for listening to our show here today. There's a few ways that you can get in contact with us and support the show if you are interested. We can first be found on Facebook slash or dot com slash second take, I would assume. Uh, from there, if you're interested, we do have a link on our main page to our merch store. You can get some shirts with my face on it. It's pretty good. Uh, there are also other things you can do. Like our website, which is www.secondtakepodcast.com or .com, however you want to say it. If you don't like the traditional way of using the internet, you can find us through Twitter at Second Take DNC. And if you want to give us your money, patreon.com. And that's a thing that we all did in one take. Good job, team. Thumbs up. Yeah. Can't wait to listen to this every week for every... another million. Yeah. Well, I've yeah. been Alex. I've been Andy. I've been here. Me too. My name is Sebastian. <laughs> and I'm Zane. The end. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 